it's over, Shannon. The 2021 baseball season is finished. We are now to my favorite time on the baseball calendar when the start of the next year's building phase begins. I can't be more excited, Shannon. This is so awesome. It's safe to come out now. This is it. This, this is, is really this it. This is the time. Okay. I mean, look, this the World Series deserves some conversation because the fact that the Braves did what they did and accomplished what everyone thought was impossible midway through the season, towards the end of the season, in some ways they were a little bit more of a complete version of what the Mariners were in the National League, and they got it done. What were your impressions coming out of that series? I talked about him last week. This was the worst World Series ever, as far as I am concerned. <laughs> I did not like either team, and I liked everything that led up to it, and none of the right teams won, and that was just so I, I didn't even want to watch the World Series, for that matter, and, and I'm glad I did. And uh, I don't know what to make of it because, you know, our, our little dig was, well, the Mariners would have won the NL East. Good luck, Braves. You know, 88 wins. How, how are you going to do? And they did, and they did without some of their biggest stars, too. And, and you know, a, a huge pitcher, a huge, obviously, Acuna a, a, as well. And then losing Morton in the first game, unbelievable Amazing. what they did. And they did it with pitching. And they did it, I'm glad to say, with I think a little bit more starting pitching. Even though it wasn't their most elite starting pitching, they still made that work. And I think that was good to see after so many, well, we're going to bullpen everything. They were forced to do that a game. But we're going to go early to the bullpen. We're going to put starters in in relief in games that are not game seven. I think that they played it a little bit more traditionally, which for me was great to see. And again, it, it was about run suppression for the most part in the majority of their wins throughout this playoff stretch. So I think that's kind of what we want to see. We want to, we talk about moves that can be made at the deadline to shore up the pitching or get that ace arm or, you know, something to help along those lines. You shouldn't see the 10-5 games in the World Series. You really shouldn't. As fun as the home run and the playoffs for that matter, not to the number that we saw, as fun as the home runs are, it should be they should be closer matches at that point. It should be more pitching in, involved. So, uh, to me, I think it kind of resolves some of the things that we saw in in the playoffs leading up to it. But then again, I'm scratching my head. An 88 win team in an age where 90 is not enough anymore, it, far from a guarantee that you are going to get in, and they win the World Series. I think it's absolutely spectacular. And so. Is it outrageous to think that perhaps the Mariners could do it in a year? Whew. I mean, look. and I'm not saying that they could. I'm just is yes. is is there some room for dare to dream, which I try not to They're do. But you know, fans, absolutely. Is there room for that? If you have a young team, your win total doesn't matter as long as you get in the playoffs, because a young team always has something that a veteran team doesn't, which is the potential to be better than you've shown. An old team doesn't necessarily have that. You have an old team that finishes with 90 wins. I don't think you can really expect that by the end of September they're playing a different brand of baseball, a totally better brand of baseball than they were in the beginning because old players don't really change all that much. Young players and a young team, you saw it with the Mariners, and I think you saw some with the uh, with the Braves as well. A young team, you saw it with the Blue Jays specifically. A young team can change their trajectory on a dime, and they can start to play a brand of baseball at the end of a season that makes a 90-win team actually perform like a 100-win team by the end. So for the Mariners, you have the win total. You know, if they snuck in at 90 or 91 wins next year because some things happen and there's a little more parity in the American League than you thought there might be, 
they could position themselves to be just like the Braves next year. Absolutely. There's a ton of reason to believe that a young Mariners team coming together, realizing their potential in September and October, could be a World Series champion. It's it's always out a reach because it's baseball and you never know what's going to happen. But yeah, there's more reason to believe with this kind of Mariners team than there would be one led by Cano Cruz and the older crew. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think was encouraging about this team, and you can look at all the numbers and what shouldn't have happened, and yes, they did outperform in some areas, but I, I also think that they were not one of those young clubs that was just playing out of their minds. I think that when they were on, they were playing good baseball. They obviously needed more offense. Everybody can use a little bit more pitching, but I think that there were fundamental things that they were doing. They were hitting with runners in scoring position for the majority of the year. Of course, when they needed it the most, that fell off. Uh, and then kind of a shift that I saw with this group, I want to say probably late July, August, and I love seeing it, but uh, they when they started to believe – you could see it from them. They weren't losing their mind after every win. They were after the appropriate wins where you should, you know, Dylan Moore, the walk-off slam, things like that. You know, those are those are games where you should have that emotion. But I think back to all the years where it just seemed like when they got that win and perhaps they were playing 450 baseball and they were having these over-the-top celebrations, it almost seemed like it was more about the celebration than it was, oh, hey, we won, so we get to – Get out here and, and, and be silly. That the win was the accomplishment. I That's the pinnacle. That was the peak. I got it. I celebrated it. What I sense is similar to, I think, what you're saying is when you get that win, that big win, it's the excitement that we're going to get to do it tomorrow. Right. And that part of it, that mentality, that's a winning mentality. The one you had before, what you were looking at is a losing mentality and celebrating small victories because that's all you get. That's not where you're at now. It's not what we saw at the end of last year. And I think... From a, a baseball fan perspective, not a deep stats perspective or just a surface level perspective, that's the kind of thing you can buy into when you're watching sports. I believe that this team has confidence that they're going to keep winning, that they're going to have excitement about the next game, not just celebrate what happened. I think it's a great point, Shannon. Well, it was very apparent being down on the field, too, and being down on the field for years where it just it felt false after a lot of these wins, and, and it just it left me scratching my head. You don't want to see a last-place team going nuts after a single win uh, and a run-of-the-mill win sometimes as well. But this year, there there came a, a turning point where it was all, your, all right, let's get back out there tomorrow. This is great. Well, let's, you know, let's, let's get after what our goals are. And, and so that kind of coupled with the play in general that we saw and a lot of smart baseball throughout the season, it wasn't just a young team losing their minds and playing, you know, out of their minds and above their heads. It was, it was a little something different. So I'm interested to see how that picks up and carries over next year. Throughout the rest of this podcast, we're going to get to a couple of major things that you and I have been focusing on. We've been building up towards, we teased in the last podcast. We're going to talk about some holes on this Mariners roster. We're going to talk about some of the available players and possibilities to plug those holes. And we're going to focus, we're going to leave the pitching staff alone a little bit. That's a huge question mark, and it's a really complicated one uh, to answer. We're going to address third base. We're going to address the outfield. We're going to address the free agent markets and potential trade targets. But let's start by cleaning up some of the things that are coming up. Uh, We've got a work stoppage that could potentially happen. The World Series is over, which means free agency and trades can begin very, very shortly. Um, Take us through some of the key dates that are coming up on the baseball calendar as we now officially enter the offseason. 
Well, it is Wednesday morning right now, and along those lines, I think that we will throughout the day start seeing the players officially declare free agency who are eligible, and there really should be no surprises uh, on that, and that's just a formality at this point. Uh, in five days is when you can start to see free agents sign. Clubs have the um, right to negotiate with their own pending free agents in this five-day period. Uh, 24 hours after the World Series ends is when the trades can begin. And then, of course, the GM meetings kick off this weekend in Carlspad. And Jerry DePoto on his show two weeks ago talked about, oh, yeah, we're already in. We've got a post up on 710 ESPN about that. 710sports.com. Caffeine is kicking in. <laughs> got it right here. DePoto said, yeah, we have been talking with other clubs, maybe not so much as, uh, you know, specific deals, but really evaluating where everybody is, feeling out where the needs are, who could be potential trade partners. That work has already begun, which is good. And then he said, you know, in, in years past, and, and not recent years, but traditionally, the winter meetings are where you would see a lot of deals come to fruition. Now they're happening earlier. So the winter meetings are typically in middle of December. Yeah, like uh, right after the first week of December is when they typically are. Those winter meetings are in jeopardy. We'll backtrack a little bit here. The collective bargaining agreement expires at 11.59, I believe, Central Time, December 1st. So there could be a lockout on December 2nd. And before everybody panics about all of this, only panic if games are impacted. And we have not seen that in a long, long time. It's a negotiating tool, a lockout is. And uh, I think we very well could see that. Now, with, what that would mean is you cannot sign free agents in that period. And you may not be able to make trades either. They could put a moratorium on trades I'd at that time that. I would as expect well. that your rosters are basically going to be locked. And even if they aren't, I would, I would expect that teams will be very hesitant to make changes that could impact their futures in a time when the rules for the future are up in the air. And that's really what's going on. After December 1st, when there's a lockout and they're trying to figure out a new collective bargaining agreement, the Players Association and the owners are trying to figure out what financial and game rules they're going to play under for the next five to ten years. And once you have those rules set, teams are going to have a plan for how they're going to attack their off-seasons this year, the short-term futures, and their long-term futures. So right. that's a, it's an important thing to figure out, and it's an important thing that's going to happen this off-season. It's unfortunate that it's happening in a time when the Mariners are trying to build an ad instead of being tearing down or sort of treading water like they have been. But uh, at the same time, there is opportunity on the other side. There's opportunity leading up to it as well. Right. I, I mean, it's not going to change what's available. It's just going to compress when these things can happen. And it could be a flurry, you know, in January, which, to be honest with you, that's what we've seen with a lot of the bigger free agents anyway of late. And that could impact things early. Maybe it would be to your benefit to take a big offer early and not have to worry about that. Maybe there are players out there that would think that. Would those be the big uh, the big stars? Probably not. Scott Boris is going to have a hand in kind of manipulating how all of this timeline works for the big stars. But also, you know, if you're a, a kind of more medium tier free agent and, and you are given, you know, maybe you go after that guy. Maybe you give him a little bit extra right now because those are the guys that have been hurt by the latest collective bargaining agreement. Maybe they don't want to have to worry about this. Maybe they don't want to be sitting around in February and, and wondering if they're going to play and uh, if they have made a mistake in not taking something, if they are going to sign for undervalue at that point. So I, I think some things will get done. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But the big high-ticket items 
likely would be after that. But again, that's what we've seen before. So all of this will be out there. It just could happen very quickly uh, early next year, depending on what happens with the CBA. And of course, when you're talking about how the rules could impact things, there's talk of a salary floor that obviously would impact how, how you handle your finances. And probably the biggest thing, and I don't know if we will see it or not, it seems to me that it should be the central issue, uh, is service time. And if uh, players will be eligible to become free agents sooner, how does that impact things? So arbitration, how does that impact things? Those are the big questions that loom with this CBA for the clubs financially. I think you made a good point. I, I don't expect that we're going to be in danger of the season being in jeopardy. You know, we, we recently went through an NFL collective bargaining agreement where we thought it was going to be a really big deal, and there's a good chance they could have missed time. They ended up pushing back the preseason a little bit. I think they might have missed a game. But whereas that time they were figuring out whether they were going to play extra games in the schedule, like everyone knew coming into that collective bargaining agreement, this is the big issue. This is how we're going to have to deal with it. This is gambling money. With baseball, the issues that they're dealing with are big industry issues, but they're not monumental change everything, extend the rosters, extend um, you know, extend uh, uh, the season, change the count. They're not those kinds of issues. So when it comes down to money issues, I think there's a good chance that they will figure it out and they'll get it done before a season's impacted. Let's let's look a little bit deeper into, uh, as we get into the Mariners' needs, they're finishing up their rosters. A lot of times uh, through the Mariners' rebuild, we look at the 40-man roster set time as which prospects are aging out and can we afford to give up any of these players who can we take on that another team may have given up on because we have extra space we're not carrying as many major leaguers we're looking for building phase the Mariners may be entering a little bit of a different offseason in the way they look at their roster where do things sit with the 40 man the 40 man is uh, going to be a little bit of a crunch with the players that you are going to need to protect and we've already seen them kind of weed out and weed their way through. And I think there are still areas where you could actually drop up a couple of people from the 40-man. That'll make it a little bit easier to uh, accommodate those that you want to protect in the minor leagues. And that's that's a problem that, you know, when you build a strong farm system, it's a good problem to have that you've got so many at that point that that can become a little bit more of a challenge. And trades, of course, could help that out as well. I think that when we look at this offseason, let's go ahead and remember, everybody likes to talk about Trader Jerry. We haven't seen him make very many trades since the initial teardown, not at the pace that he was before. And I think you kind of get the idea that, well, he was trying to get to a roster uh, that was more specific and more his than what he inherited. So we saw that amount of deals. We haven't see, we've seen next to nothing in the last two off seasons. We've seen some deadline deals, but he hasn't really used the off season to make those trades. I, I think largely because a he had to evaluate what he had, and b he wasn't letting go of those prospects. This might be the off season where we see him let go of a prospect. I think one of the things to remember when you hear about trades with other teams, because you get this so often, the Mariners easily could have matched that that package right there. It's never the same from club to club. And I think that one of the things that sometimes hurts a team with great prospects is a lot of times that other team will dig in and say it's Julio Rodriguez or nothing. They don't want to go to that second tier. And another thing that can hurt can be that they will go back to the Mariners and say, well, we've got, you know, the Yankees' number five pick. We want your number five pick. Well, they're two totally different, or five-rated player. We want your number five 
rated prospect. Two totally different. You, you cannot you cannot exchange rankings for rankings because the systems are different, and, and they will try and pull that, and that sometimes does hurt in negotiations. So it'll be interesting to see, A, are the Mariners willing to give up one of their big prospects? You want Cattell Marte? That's great. It's going to take Julio Rodriguez. No. Yeah. You no. know, that kind of thing. What about, you know, a, a George Kirby or an Emerson Hancock? Do you feel confident enough in your starting pitching that is coming up that you could make a, you know, a, just, you know, an, a blockbuster around one of those players? Right. Do you? You know, it's an interesting thing because you're going to get into a very old conversation with every baseball team that's growing and every baseball team that has a farm system who's untouchable. And for a long time, the untouchable has been pretty clear. Now that you enter a building phase and you're entering into a phase where you're looking for championships, you're looking for the playoffs, that untouchable list becomes a little different. You open, you, you, sort, of, you sort of shine a microscope on that untouchable list a little bit more. And you may narrow it down a little bit because the players you're looking to add may cut into some of what you traditionally would have said. These are untouchables. So it's a it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I don't think Jerry DePoto is afraid to trade anybody for that matter. I, I th- you ask him who there is an untouchable, he might say there is. So that player thinks that, but I don't know that he's entirely. I mean, you're not telling me there's not a deal out there. They would have to obviously win that kind of deal. But I, I think that everybody is up for grabs ultimately, um, but it's very, very unlikely you would see a Julio Rodriguez. I would probably put George Kirby right behind him in that aspect. Okay. Yeah, but uh, could you see an OLV Marte? I'd prefer not. I don't think it's out of the question. Could you see an Emerson Hancock? I think you could. And then, you know, that kind of second tier, your, your Brandon Williamson's, that I was almost surprised was not moved at the deadline. I thought that that, and again, I don't know if that's because they couldn't get something for a package with him or if they were not willing to give him up. Yeah. So, you know, you, you just don't know. But when you're looking at what could be coming in players and deals that could be made, I, for the most part, do not waste a lot of energy on it because we have yet, we have yet to match what DePoto has come up with. Right. He is completely off the board. As far as what he's bringing back and what he's giving up, I can't remember a major deal that he's made where I've said, yeah, that's something I've heard before, or I've heard something in the ballpark of that. It's been off the board. Absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. But so, if you want to have fun with that, by all means. And, and, I, and I know you do, and thing. I know a lot of I fans. Absolutely. Go for it. Me, personally, not going to do it. Yeah. I'm, my goal is never to be right. My goal is to figure <laughs> out what uh, what would be fun, what would be exciting, how would it plug the holes. And speaking of holes, that's where we should turn our eyes next. Uh, the Mariners have a young roster. They have some holes. They have some openings. Where do you think that the opportunity lies for the Mariners to improve heading into the 2022 season before it even begins? Well, we've talked about, you know, the clear needs. You need to add starting pitching. Five isn't going to do it. Six isn't going to do it. Eight isn't going to do it. You need to be nine, ten deep. Uh, I don't know that they need to add a top-of-the-rotation starter. Um, I, I think they need to add some functional pieces like what we saw from Tyler Anderson against everybody except the Angels last year. That kind of um, that kind of pitcher. Can you find another Chris Flexen? Hmm. Is Chris Flexen going to be Chris Flexen next year? Right uh, along those lines. But I don't think that you are going into this season riding Justice Sheffield or Justin Dunn into one of the starting. I wholeheartedly rotation agree spots. with you. Absolutely, and I'm lockstep with you in that. I think we made it pretty clear last week that 
I, I don't think that the right move for this Mariners roster is to go all in and pick your ace in this offseason. Because there's just so many things that can happen. Is that guy even going to start the season the same way? Is he going to be healthy a month into it? Personally, I would rather have a rotation that I trust with established, developed pitchers, one through six. And then if my season's working out the way I want it to, then I go get the ace of that season. Mm -hmm. You know, Robbie Ray wasn't Robbie Ray until halfway through the year and you realized, okay, that's the real deal. That's the guy you want to add during the season to say, this guy is at the top of the game right now. Let's let's go with that and make sure that when we add that ace, it pushes us over the top. I don't think you get that in the offseason the same way. So I'm totally right there with you. What about in the lineup? Where are your biggest opportunities to upgrade? Well, obviously in the infield, there's been a lot of talk about that. But something that developed during the season was uh, the need for a center fielder. Kyle Lewis, uh, you cannot put him back in center field. You know, we do not know what we are going to get from Kyle Lewis next year. He was a beautiful center fielder. That was a surprise coming off of the first knee surgery. You cannot expect that coming off of the second knee surgery. And, you know, center is not the natural position for Jared Kelnick. So you have to figure out what you are going to do in center field. And you've got to figure out, are you looking for a long-term answer there or are you looking for a short-term? And, uh, you know, fun little story on that one. The question now is, can Julio Rodriguez play center field? He profiles on the corners, but uh, I did notice that right around mid-August, all of a sudden, they started playing him quite a bit more in center, like he had played once in center field before the All-Star break, and then he played mainly in center uh, the final three weeks of the season and a lot more between the All-Star break and of course, he was gone quite a bit, but he, he played a lot more center. Now, that's interesting. It's not something that I had really heard or noticed. What does that portend for Julio Rodriguez as he enters the season? To me, he's on Jared Kelnick track, a Jared Kelnick 2021 track. If if the 2022 season starts out the same way, I could see Julio Rodriguez being one of the first call-ups that they bring up as soon as they determined that they've got a hole and he's the best fit for it. I could see it within the first six to eight weeks of the season. He's going to make it even tougher than Kelnick made it last year. Wow. And if he plays center field, he can be a passable center fielder next year. That certainly does open up some different opportunities. Well, let me tell you a little story about this one, and it was fun. Uh, Julio was in town in the final week of the season. They had the minor league award winners up to receive their awards, and Julio did it up big. They all had their suits on. It's always fun to see because, you know, they're still kids at this point, and they're on the big field, and they've got, you know, the the expensive suits on. Julio had the suit and uh, the best accessory of all, his Olympic medal Mm. on as well. And I picked that thing up, and I hope he didn't wear it too long because, I mean, he could, you know, serious neck issues trying to to wear that around. But he was very proud of it, and it was great to see him. He was uh, just Julio Large. I mean, his his personality is huge. He loves talking. He loves doing the media thing. You know, he's not kind of want to compare him a little bit to Felix that you hear him before you see him. It's not quite that. It's more you kind of feel he's there. He is just, uh, you know, he lights up. He is that kind of He's guy. He's a magnanimous he personality. Is an, absolutely. And I've heard from people in the organization, you're having a bad day, go spend some time around Julio. Mm. You'll feel better right away. He, he's that kind of uh, person. 
Yeah, not to put too much on him. I mean, he's not perfect, but he is. He definitely has that star quality. He definitely, you know, he will default to positive on absolutely everything, which is lovely to be around. Why wouldn't you want to be around? And he's backing it up with his play. So I sat him down in the dugout, and we did kind of a typical interview, and he talked about his year, and it was spectacular. And when we were done, I didn't want to ask him in the interview because I I didn't know where it was going to go. And I said, so I noticed uh, you were playing a little bit more center field in the second half. Lit up again, puts his finger up, and and kind of points to me. And, And he said, I am telling you this first. You remember this. You have this first. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> How awesome is that? <laughs> and I'm dying. I'm like, okay, kid. But you know, it's uh, in his mind that that, it, that is something that he can do. You know, he's a challenge beater. You know, um, there's a lot of reports that one of the knocks on his, his scouting profile over the last two or three years has been his speed, that his speed, his present speed was not going to be sustainable. As they got bigger, he was going to get slower and, and it just he was going to have to move out of whatever athletic position you wanted him to be in and Jerry Depoto I think came out and said he found out about it and he made a commitment that off season when he found it out that I'm going to keep speed and add speed and change my projection on this and he did it <laughs> it worked I mean, the the projections on his speed are not as dour as they used to be oh he was a fantastic so, base stealer he always has been but now to the point where people believe yeah he is getting bigger but his speed isn't going away and it's a commitment that he made So that translates in the same idea, right? When you go to center field, speed is one of the most important attributes that you can have in terms of staying long-term in center field. If he changed that from his prospect perspective and he commits to center field, I don't see any reason why he couldn't make that a real deal. Well, and I haven't talked to anybody in the organization about this. It was just an observation when it was like, okay, they're going to need center. Why not put Julio out there? And the immediate response that you get from anybody not in the organization, he's too big. Kyle Lewis appeared to be too big for center field. He wasn't. Right. Ken Griffey Jr. is not a small person. No. And, and so, you know, I, I think, and, I, it, you know, Julio's an athlete. So let's, let you know, I think it's worth taking a look at. I think they are taking a look at. I'll get into that a little bit more. But I think you have to determine if he can be that answer out there. And uh, how do you determine that? You know, and I, I would think that, you know, perhaps if that is the direction that they want to go in, that might also kind of keep him, as I said, he's going to make things difficult in spring training. He was, he, he displayed a very mature approach at the plate last spring. It was eye-opening. And the adjustments that he was making was eye-opening. Again, it's spring training, so don't put too much into that. But if you are going to put him in center field, I would want to, you know, forget what he's doing with the bat. I want him to get reps in the minors before you bring him up to the majors in a year where you are expecting to contend. Totally, totally fair. So let's stay in the outfield then. And, you know, I, I think it is pretty clear that the Mariners' hole in, in the outfield is in center field, and it's starting center field. Jerry Depoto hinted as much when he gave his exit interview and said that we're, we're going to view Kyle Lewis as a bonus to whatever happens next year. When you refer to somebody as a bonus, you're saying, I like them and they're going to make us better, but I'm not planning my, my outfield based on that. So all that said, Jared Kelnick was one of the statistically worst center fielders defensively in baseball last year. He's young enough that there's room for improvement there, but you probably saw enough that he's not a long-term center fielder. How do you think, what kind of what kind of a player, what kind of an option do you think they'd be looking at to fill that center field spot? 
Well, I think you have to look at what you have in the future. Okay, there are two things that need to happen before anything else happens, and I think we are going to talk a little bit about third base as well. You need, in my opinion, to make every effort to extend J.P. Crawford right now, and I'm extending Mitch Hanniger too if he is open to it. Yes. And uh, once you do that, and this is important for future too, and what you are going to do with your young prospects, are they going to need to take over? a spot that is occupied by one of these players, or are you going to be adding? And if you're keeping Mitch Hanniger, then you definitely are looking right now for a fourth outfield slash DH. And that fourth outfielder probably needs to be pretty good at center field. I think that that is kind of what they're looking at right now because eventually, you know, it worked having Mitch in that DH spot quite a bit this year. I think they will continue with that. Defensively, his numbers have come down. And, and so I think that you are, you know, when you look at what your bench is going to be, it's going to be a three-person bench. One is going to be a catcher. One is going to be a super utility type. And then after that, probably you are looking at your fourth outfielder who is also going to be a part-time DH. That fourth outfielder isn't going to have the flexibility. Your number two person is going to have to have tremendous flexibility because I think you are going to be rotating four outfielders between the DH spot. Yep, I totally agree. I personally don't think they're going to invest in a cornerstone center fielder. I don't think that's going to be one of the options that they had. But I think there are a few options out there that are really interesting. I'm really bummed that the Royals were able to sign Michael A. Taylor to an extension because, to me, he was the perfect kind of player. A guy you're totally happy with starting in center field, a great defensive center fielder who's got speed, and he's got enough tools with the bat that you don't feel like he's a liability in any facet. But if you do end up moving him away, then you're happy. You're totally fine with him being an extra outfielder and playing 60% of the time rotating around because you've got a better option in front of him. That's the kind of guy, unfortunately, he signs an extension uh, with the Royals to stay there for average money, I think less than 10 a year. So that's the kind of player that I think they would be looking at. A couple of names that I think are worth watching, and some may stand out and say, how can you call that a short-term option? One is Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins. Um a ultra-talented, amazing player. I think he's played over 100 games once in his career. He's got two years left in his, his rookie deal. Uh, he'll be a free agent after two seasons from now, after 23. There's some talk that they may want to say, we're going to sell high on this. We're not going to let this ride anymore. They already had moved on from other players in Minnesota. That, to me, is a nice option. And actually, it works out pretty well if you want to keep Kyle Lewis and run both of those guys and say, between them, I'll probably get a full season, you might be right. And if both of those guys end up playing, if you get 162 out of the combination of those two playing at their normal capacities, you are plus in center field. And that's an awesome, awesome route. So I love an idea like that. And I also don't think it's probably going to cost you one of your top guys in your farm system. I think it'll cost you a nice package, but probably not one of your top guys. So that's the kind of trade deal I'd be looking for. And that was on my list as well. And I think that this most likely would come by trade because you're going to be looking at a shorter term option. You know, Marte would be fantastic. Starling Marte would be fantastic to have out there. That's going to be a longer deal, you know, or perhaps you could be looking at one of your utility players. Chris Taylor, is that, you know, somebody that you would be interested in? Definitely possible. I I think that his skill set's probably on the decline to the point where I'm not sure that I really want to invest heavily there. A guy, another asset the Mariners have, and they've tried to leverage this over the course of the last 12 months, from my understanding, is some of their ability to take on money. And one of the teams that could be looking to free up some salary space would be the Dodgers. 
I would be interested to see if there's an outfielder that they maybe want to move on from. The name that I have solely uh, plucked out for this conversation is A.J. Pollock, who had an amazing year at the plate last year. His defensive skills are on the decline. He is a little older. He's signed for another year with a player option after that. Uh, sort of a Kyle Seeger situation where it's got escalators in it that he's been hitting. He hasn't traditionally been the most healthy player, but I do believe uh, I've heard you know in years past that Jerry Depoto was high on A.J. Pollock, and that's the kind of player that they want. I could see him being a valuable asset to the Mariners at a higher salary than maybe he should be paid for, uh, but the Dodgers are going to need to move some money because they love to add stars, and they continue to push the, the, the payroll taxes and everything. That could be an option there as well. So that's a name that I think is worth watching. And that kind of player maybe has a little bit more salary than his uh, than his play may dictate, but the Mariners can absorb that. Yeah, the Mar- or the Dodgers will have a very interesting offseason. Could this be the year the Mariners finally pry Kevin Kiermeyer loose from the Rays? It's another interesting option. I think he's probably a more expensive type of player just based on how his contract sits and his skill set and the fact that he is not declining. But... He's the he's a Mariner. He's a Mariner. I mean, that's the kind of player that they've <laughs> been eyeing and trying to develop forever from Dylan Moore to, you know, anybody that they've brought out there. That's the kind of player that they like. So absolutely. I think it's uh, it's on the table. Yeah, I think we are looking probably at trade in this aspect. And, and again, it's not something that is going to be long term. And I think the options, this is one where it'll be you know kind of tricky. There could be somebody out there that we have no idea who it is that that he has got mm-hmm. his eye on. Perhaps this is one of the moves that we see early. I, I don't yeah. know that this is at the top of their list. I think they view it probably a little bit more as fourth outfielder, not we have to get this done right now. This is critical because, uh, you know, honestly, it's not. They could survive without it, but it is an area for an upgrade. And outfield defense was something that, uh, you know, surprisingly was not good for the Mariners. You want my, uh, my sneaky bargain name that I want you to tuck away and say, how do you had it first? Mark Canna. Ah, uh, he was on my list too. That's uh, yep. that's the name that I think if I was to draw up what a bench bat should look like for the Mariners, it's Mark Canna. I don't think you want to commit to him as being an everyday player anymore at his age, but I don't think he's going to be very expensive, and his skill set fits exactly how the Mariners want to operate. He may not be the fastest guy anymore. His skill set's not on the incline anymore, but that's a professional batter in the AL West who had a down year, and still it was fine. I think that that's the kind of guy I would expect to see them fill out their bench with players like Mark Canna as opposed to some of the – um, you know, upside, toolsy, non-prospect related kind of players that they have filled out their bench with in the past. And, you know, last but not least, if they want to go big, you know, the name has been out there possibly as a big trade candidate, Brian Reynolds as well. So that is, but that would be big. That is your every day for a long time, and yep. they're giving up a lot. And Cedric right Mullins there. is another one. That's another one you can put out there. He's maybe not the greatest center fielder just by the metrics. He's young enough that he probably could improve. He's fast. He's got power in an amazing season last year for the Orioles. Tons of club control, but again, huge package to price somebody like that loose. So I'm with you. I don't think that's going to be their piece. There are options if they want it to be. Let's move into the juicy conversation and the place where really everyone in, in Seattle's eyes have been turning as this thing has been getting closer to the offseason being developed, and that's third base replacing Kyle Seeger. How do you think they're going to approach this? Well, that, this again, I mean, I want to lock up J.P. Crawford. That's the first thing I want to do because then you know that you do not have to replace a shortstop in, in the near future. Um, Noel V. Marte, uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about he's going to grow out of the shortstop position, but I've also heard he's been just fine at shortstop. So I don't know that that is 
the question mark there. And everybody, Chris Bryant, the name is out there. Yes, the Mariners like him. That is your long-term option if you do that. I, I don't think you're moving him around a lot if you sign him. If you just sign him, you know, that's interesting. he that, is your third baseman. That's my guy, and that's the one that I've targeted because I think he's a championship-style piece in so many different aspects. I would agree that he'd probably be a, primarily be a third baseman, but if Abraham Toro starts to do what Jerry DePoto thinks he's going to do and plays himself into a larger role, there's nothing wrong with playing a third of Chris Bryant's games in the outfield to me. That provides enough flexibility to move you around, and that's the utility I think they're looking for. I don't think they're looking for Who are you a team, replacing in the outfield when you're doing that? Whoever gets injured, whoever needs a day <laughs> off. I mean, this is baseball. People get Somebody's injured. Get people hurt. need spells. I mean, if it comes to the place where Mitch Hanniger on a championship team and he's a two-thirds in right field and he's DH a third of his games to keep him fresh and to get a better you outfielder You have your fourth out outfielder there. at that point. You who is, do, you but get you your can center also fielder. What are you Bryant, doing, Howdy? You, you can't can, put four out you there. You can put Chris Bryant out there and a hot Abraham Toro at third base. <laughs> this is the kind of flexibility I think the Mariners want to develop. When Jerry Dopoto talks about lengthening the lineup, a player like Chris Bryant, his value is not playing all over the place every day. It's being able to keep his bat in the lineup and not take a step back other places and be able to play the hot hand because he has the ability to play in the outfield. So to me, that's why he's the perfect fit. I understand there's not, it's not fully in the Mariners' control to just get him. But um, yes, that's my number one target. In terms of trade targets, we mentioned Jose Ramirez last week. Are there any other names that you think we should be looking for? You made a big old team well, at the end of the last episode. Yeah, and I think it's all come out ever since then. <laughs> and it was confirmed by a huge move that it was kind of shocking to some, but it, it gelled with some things that I had heard during the season. The Oakland A's are tearing down. It is fire sale. And it's yeah. time for them. It's time for them to do it. They just they don't have enough that they can hang their hat on to say, this is a baseline we can move up from here without spending money, and they don't do that. So – it was time. It had come to the end. The magic was over. They do need to tear down. And Bob Melvin saw the signs on the wall they weren't going to spend. Well, it's an absolute mess. And I, I, I feel for everybody in that organization, and I feel for all of the fans. And this is something, if you're a Mariners fan, you, you complain about the owners as much as you want. But that is an organization that does not spend money. And that is an organization that is aggressively trying to leave right now. That doubled the prices of their season tickets uh, last year, which is just absolutely brutal, that let the best manager, one of the best managers in the game, walk uh, for basically the same amount of money, just they didn't want to pay it to him this year. It is. We're tearing everything down. We're trying to get that stadium in Las Vegas, and it, it's all about the dollars and always has been. And when you talk about it's time to tear down, to what end? To what end? So they can build up again and win a wild card game or lose a wild card game and not get do. out of division. That's uh, what they do. Series. And as much as, you know, oh, the Mariners haven't been there for 20, 21 years. Do you want to constantly be doing that? No, but that's what they do. And that's what they will do until they get a new ownership. Baseball forces a new ownership or they get themselves a sweetheart situation or the rules of the CBA change. And this may be coming to the point where they have to change their trajectory because they just flat it's can't take brutal. advantage of it the It is absolutely brutal so what is going on. the offshoot of that, how do the Mariners and their third base hole play? They had a pretty good third baseman in Oakland who I'm sure is up for grabs right now with everybody else. We're talking about Matt Chapman. We are talking about Matt Chapman, and the thought there is the shorter-term option if you believe that Noel V. Marte is going to be there in the next two years. And I think that that is something that they should take into consideration. And uh, Chapman, there are lots of candidates, but I think Chapman is a great fit. Of course, he had a very down year 
this year, but he's coming off of a major, major hip surgery. So I don't think that is to be too unexpected. Some of his peripherals were kind of strange. He was still hitting the ball. He was barreling up the ball pretty well, but uh, the swing and miss strikeouts, this is where it got a little strange in that he, he was missing pitches in the zone. I mean, that is something that would have to get ironed out, but he's got two uh, beyond solid offensive years behind him. Uh, he is a gold glover, obviously, at third base. You would add him already to a very good defensive infield, and uh, he would be fun to watch over there every day. And uh, has, even though the numbers were down this year, still did have the power. I, I think that he could be of, of huge you know, intrigue for this Mariners team, among others, but that is a name uh, that I would think that they would consider if that is the route that they want to go. And let me throw this out there. They are going to throw and cast a wide net for the free agents. It's not going to be Chris Bryant or bust. It is not going to be Marcus Simeon or bust. And they very well may go out there and throw a huge deal out there at the beginning to see if anybody jumps. They are in a position where they can adapt to pretty much anything they bring in offensively right now. So they are going to you know, go after what makes them better offensively and go from there so this you know would be a little bit more planning in that you're looking at the longer term and what you believe you have coming up but I, I think that Chapman would possibly be a fit uh, there are others out there uh, Joey Wendell also two years remaining on the contract the Rays loan all-star not the loan he was the additional he was the all-star that uh, blocked J.P. Crawford as far as we are Concerned, but that would also be somebody that for two years could more than hold down that position. Uh, you know, there are options. You mentioned uh, Ramirez, uh, Escobar, free agent. That is in. He's getting a little bit older, so you might not be looking at his long-term a deal. There are options, shorter-term options. I don't think you are definitely have to place a long-term big bat option there right now. To me, that doesn't excite me. That's not what Mariners fans are coming for. They're coming for what's the cornerstone piece you're going to bring in here. Well, yeah, and if you get a, a two-year guy at third base, you're getting your cornerstone at second base. So there, there's sort of the rub in all of this. Do you believe that the Mariners are going to approach this offseason and bring in a cornerstone player? That doesn't necessarily need to mean that they get a you know a top-of-the-market free agent guy, but do you believe they're going to get a cornerstone player out of this free agent or this off-season market? I think that is the hope, and we haven't seen that yet. We have not seen the cornerstone free agent player. We have seen Jerry make the trades for the big players. We have not seen him go out and buy that player. And I, I think that you have to look down and you look at the needs, and you can add up the war and the numbers, and it doesn't necessarily have to be one. You could put it together with two very good starting pitchers, a good placeholder at third base for a couple of years and then what you know I, I that to me uh, is going to be the question but again I think that they are going to have their bases covered that if they are not able to do that I think back to the Shohei Otani pursuit when that was pretty much all eggs in one basket right there it was it was it was a shot of the moon it was the only way they were going to be able to salvage what they had and make it over the top is to get Shohei Otani that offseason. They didn't they see it as a moonshot. They thought they had a really good chance at doing that, unfortunately, and that hurt. But that's not what they're doing right now. I think it will be a, you know, a wide net that is cast, and uh, I think that that should include some of these names that we're talking about, some of the names that people are excited about. It's exciting. There's a lot, a lot more we're going to get to. We're going to have to do more of these throughout the offseason. And if the Mariners don't end up making major moves – I personally am under the opinion that they'll make maybe a trade or some smaller trades or smaller signings heading up to December 1st. 
But I think that the market outside of trades in baseball is going to be real slow until this new CBA comes around. And if that's the case, we're going to have a lot of consternation, a lot of time to figure out how they put this piece, put these pieces together to make a championship team next year. And it could be an exciting blitz in, in uh, January and February. So I'm excited to get into more of this conversation. Well, we've got a long time to do Well, actually not. It is all coming. It feels like spring training is tomorrow. It's like we're <laughs> going to get through the CBA thing and we're going to be in Peoria tomorrow. It goes by quickly. But, uh, again, this is going to be the most interesting offseason the Mariners have had in a long, long time. And we know that they have the resources. How are they going to spend those resources? And, they have them both in the dollars, and they have them in the players, too. Will they be willing to spend the player resource? That'll be interesting. So uh, we're on the doorstep of that right now, and, and we mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but I expect Jerry to pull off something early or to try and pull off something early, and I would imagine that would be uh, on the trade front. He, he's mentioned it himself. We strike early, and he anticipated trying to do something early. We're at that point right now. We are now no longer talking about months away We are within weeks of this, so it should be fun to see. And just a quick update here a few hours after taping. Remember the start of the podcast where I said we'd hear about free agents declaring and I wasn't suspecting any surprises today? Well, we had a surprise. The MLBPA, since the taping, has put out a list of players who declared free agency today, and we could still see a few more. But as expected, Tyler Anderson, Sean Doolittle, James Paxton, and Joe Smith all declared and came off the 40-man roster. Hector Santiago, yep, forgot about him, also became a free agent but wasn't on the 40-man because of the suspension. Well, at about 2 o'clock, the Mariners put out a release with these names on it and the surprise. The team announced that, as expected, they turned down their four one-year options at $16.5 million per on Yusei Kikuchi's contract. The surprise, he's decided not to pick up the $13 million one-year player option, so he becomes a free agent. I don't think I need to tell you too much about what we saw from Kikuchi in his three years. You all watched it. Uh, I think this year in particular, he really flashed some fantastic stuff. You saw the uptick in the velocity. In fact, for the first half, he had the second highest velocity on the fastball for a left-handed starting pitcher. When he was on, his stuff was elite. The problem, of course, was when he was on, he didn't always stay on. And consistency has kind of been the frustration for a long time with the coaches. Uh, to, to put it frankly, you just didn't know what you were going to get from him start to start. You know, I give him all the credit in the world for what he did and in, in getting in shape and the work that he put in. And particularly what he did when Marco Gonzalez was out this year, I really saw him step up. And he said, you know, when Gonzalez got injured, he, he had a post-game press conference and he was talking about how he thought it was important that they all just did a little bit more. Well, he did, and he did it to the tune of putting up all-star numbers and uh, was indeed the Mariners' one all-star selection this year. And it was a great performance, but as we saw, one start before the all-star game absolutely fell apart and, and almost fell off of the map. We didn't quite see the velocity that we saw in the first half. The cutter was a huge issue, and again, just no consistency. Really frustrating because we what we saw early on from him at times was brilliant. And it looks like uh, that he will not be figuring out those problems with the Mariners as he's declined that option. So, again, that was a surprise. Uh, you have to believe that frees up money to uh, spend perhaps on another perhaps more reliable option as a starter. And in some ways you look at this as a gift because I don't think his role had been fully defined for next year i imagine you would have to start him but uh, let's remember that at the most important part of the season 
he was pulled from the rotation. He was out of the rotation for the final 10 days of the season. So, uh, you know, I guess just a, a benefit for the Mariners in that sense, although I, I wouldn't completely write off Kikuchi having the ability to put it together somewhere else, but it's not going to be in Seattle. He's got Scott Boris as an agent. So I see this as an interesting move in that regard. Does Boris think he can get him more? Is he looking for more in years, more of a commitment? I don't know. Uh, that is something that will play itself out as the offseason goes on. But uh, Kikuchi's uh, career as a Mariner comes to an end after three years. Okay, Kikuchi obviously can be a bit of a topic in our next podcast, and we are going to do these more often this offseason, as this offseason figures to be quite eventful. It's already kicked off to an eventful start, I think you would have to say. Uh, one last thing that I want to leave you with, I want to remind you, we do have the Jerry DePoto show in season. Once a week, DePoto would sit down on uh, the morning show. He's going to continue that in the offseason. So every Thursday, he sits down with Mike Salk, 8.30 in the morning. I imagine we'll hear more about the moves that were made today as well as some other things that have happened. I encourage you to tune into that. And, of course, it can always be found on the podcast page as well. That's it for now. We will talk to you next week.